Hey, Tara. <laughs> How's it going? It's going okay. Actually, no, it's going great. It's fall. Oh, this is yeah. my time. I love it. It's getting cool. The leaves are falling. I love it. It's yes. my favorite part of the year. All the colds, the winter colds are happening. The colds. under the weather. Pulling out the sweaters, the gray clouds. I know. I'm a weirdo. I'm happy summer's over. So ready for the end of the year. Yeah, me too. You know, we just we just got past Halloween and now we're into fall, like you mentioned. Do you listen to a type of music in the fall always, like I do? Like you do. Well, do tell. I think I, I don't oh. think my habits change that much, but tell me, what's, what's your fall vibe? I always listen to like bleak, kind of sad <laughs> folk and stuff. Oh, you mean Old in. music. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hi. How are you? Hello. I'm Tara. I'm Natalie. Let us know if you need anything. We'll be back here behind the counter gabbing away. Yeah. I like to listen to sort of bleak, dark, cold, wintry, cuddled by the fireplace type of music. Okay, right on. Winter. I dig it. It's broadcast season is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. You know who <laughs> who potentially will have a really dope kind of fall autumnal album coming out really soon? And I'm super, super intrigued about it. Who is that? Is Andre 3000. I know you've heard about this. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I cannot wait for instrumental flute album right? from Andre 3000. The the only the only man who could probably pull something like that off. I'm I'm legit excited about it. Oh look who it is! It's hey. Scott Leeds. Hello, hello. hello. <laughs> how Welcome. are you? Good. It's been a while since I've been in the store. It has been a while <laughs> since we've been in the store. We haven't played our Iber Riella game in a really long time. I know. I know. I like. I forget. What are the scores? I don't even remember. I don't either. Probably you were winning. I don't think so. No, I think we were always tying. I think we were. What is yeah. this? What are you talking about? <laughs> Do you know the, remember, Natalie, the Iber Rielip game? When Seth was working in the store, he would play this game with Scott Leeds and I, and we would guess what song he was playing backwards. Oh, yep. okay. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yep. It was a fun time. We should we should do that again soon. Yeah, you are a formidable opponent. <laughs> Same to you. It's very like McEnroe Borg, 1980 Wimbledon. Just back, 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 back. <laughs> like every time I tried to pull ahead, I was like, yes. And then I would lose one and you'd get two and be like, damn it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Man, speaking of the 80s, we were just recently talking about comeback albums and Stranger Things. And now we're talking about how Andre 3000 has an instrumental record coming out soon. As I'm a flautist. Who knew? Yeah. Who knew? I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I like to, like, he, he like gave out that statement where he's like, look, guys, I really tried to make like a hip hop album, but it just came out as a flute record. And it's like, awesome. <laughs> like, I, I'm in. I'm That's totally in. I mean, that's a huge comeback too. 20 years it's been since- I can't believe it's been Andre. that long. Yeah. Doesn't feel like it. I think yeah, I, I think all. just after like 10 years, I think we all just sort of gave up, you know? Because like we're always like, well, because like Big Boy like routinely just puts stuff out all the time. And yeah. so it made like the chasm even wider that we were getting nothing from Andre 3000. And yeah, I think for everybody, like I remember like the pitchforks and the stereo gums were always like, is this the year? Is this the year? And then after a while, they just stopped reporting. I think we all just got too heartbroken. And then now, as, like, after we've all long forgotten it, he's like, I'm back. But it's a flute record. Yeah. <laughs> and we're like, okay. That's probably what needed to happen. Just like all that added pressure was like, ah, oh, no, man. Just needed uh, right? to like give like, the man some space, you know, let him have his totally, journey. Totally, totally. Yeah. Because he, he was like deified. Like that's oh, yeah. gotta be so much pressure. And like Absolutely. rightly so, I mean, you know, but like, whew, 
I don't think I could ever like take that kind of pressure. I would just literally go into hiding and become a hermit. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's the thing though. And I heard a, a, a podcast talking about this recently where he was always taking his walks and had his flute with him. <laughs> right. Like he would go to Starbucks and be waiting for his coffee and he would just play the flute while he's outside waiting for coffee. And people were Instagramming him playing his flute and stuff. And like, I feel like we saw him enough out in the world that we like weren't worried about him, you know, right. I, I guess. I don't know. It's not like Britney Spears where we see her on Instagram and we're worried about her. But Andre right. was out there like taking his walks and he seemed happy and he was doing some guest appearances here or there. And yeah, I don't know. He just seemed good. So right. we yeah. just wanted more from him because we love him so much. I mean, because it's Andre 3000. Yeah. Yeah. It's like when you're that good, it's like, don't stop. I, I'm very excited to see like what this flute album entails. Because even if Me it's too. just like a standard like jazz flute record, I'm like, that's that's still a fucking cool move. Well, the album has been described as a, quote, stunning 87-minute mind-bender minimalist and experimental tribal and transcendent. It's a lot. And all of that of is words. good. Yeah, let's yeah, do it. That's, you know, on all beef patty, special sauce, <laughs> yeah, bun. Exactly. like it's all, all those, those are all good ingredients. So I'm, I'm all in. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of transcendent and maybe otherworldly, congratulations on your new book, mm-hmm. Traders Cord. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it is so good. Thank I, you. I'm a big fan of Stephen King. I haven't read all of them, but I have read quite a few of them at least. And I feel like you're like the new Stephen King because this book to me, it's all the good parts of Stephen King. It's not the weird, like (laughs) questionable bits. It's the enjoyable, like fantasy, weird, not weird. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, like that's a huge compliment. So thank you. It's not true at all, (laughs) but I I, I really appreciate that. That's uh, I mean, I, I am a huge King fan as well. Yeah, I have like every first edition, you know, wrapped oh, wow. in, in a bro dart because I'm that guy that wraps his books in bro darts. But like it's it took me a long time, especially like the Gunslinger first edition. Yeah, like Salem's Lot first edition, Shining first wow. edition. It was tough to get a hold of those. Oh, and the stand. Oh, God. Because they, when they re- re-released the stand and like the super expanded edition, like all those first editions were so hard to find. And you had to get like book club editions and settle for those. Sorry, I'm going real deep on like book no. collecting, but... This is crazy. That's how I am with records. Yeah. Like uh, they just reissued all the Kate Bush records, but right. like the OG first pressing is still out there for like five bucks. Yeah. Mm. Why it's, Why get the reissue when you I can have the know. real thing? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's so like when I moved from LA to New York, I had to like choose a physical medium. Like, cause I, I had so many records. I had so many like DVDs and Blu-rays and so many books. And I just, I'm like, well, I'm moving into a studio apartment in Manhattan. Like, I'm not going to be able to hold all three of these. So I just went with books and all my records and and DVDs came back up to um, Spokane in my childhood house. And they're still sitting there. And like every once in a while, like I'll go down and look at my record collection because I I don't listen to records much anymore just because I don't really have a place to put a record player. But yeah, they're still down there. So whenever, you know, I get some room to to set up like a really nice hi-fi system, I got them all there. I mean... But again, speaking of record players, yes. <laughs> systems, the book, I mean, the fact that you tie in a record store, records, mm-hmm. all this music, it's, it's just, so, it, it speaks to me. <laughs> that yeah. makes me you, very you happy very, to hear. You very masterfully drop in some good tidbits for true audiophiles out there and little bits of history and stuff. And um, thank you. It was great. I, I plowed through it like three or four days. It was very compelling. I was very impressed with it. You guys are going to make me blush. (laughs) Like I was, that's, it's really funny. I remember I was talking to my editors at Nightfire and 
they had expressed not like concern, but they were just like, look, are, are some of these references like too deep? And I was like, look, there's like 100% references like the Beatles. Everybody's going to get that. And then there's like 50% references for those that are like, they're like active music listeners, but they don't go too deep. And then there's like the 1% jokes that people, you know, like the John Cage joke. Not many <laughs> will get that. But those that will, like, hopefully they'll be like, this guy sees me. This guy, you know? this guy gets it. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Like, and um, so, All yeah. Big I, Star stuff. Yeah, yeah, totally. I've had so many people come to me just like, I never knew who Big Star was. And it's what? Uh, so like, which makes me really happy where it's like, good. That's the more wow. people that know, the better. But um, yeah. And it was also, I wanted to be really cognizant of doing like pop culture drops because like sometimes it can seem really cloying. And again, I don't know if I succeeded or not, but like I tried to make them. And like, if you said it in a record store, music is the vernacular. So it seems right. hopefully more organic than it would be. If it was just like two people hanging out in like a coffee shop or something, even though mm-hmm. that would all seem probably normal to us in a coffee shop. Yeah. yeah. So it, totally. it hopefully gave the vehicle to let those pop culture drops seem a little bit more organic as opposed to in a different medium. Yeah. Absolutely. Just... So that our friends in the record store kind of have an idea. Uh, I mean, I feel like we're hinting a little bit at it, but I'm going to just read the very short blurb from your publisher, um, the description of your book, Mm -hmm. uh, Schrader's Court. It says, Heart-shaped box meets the haunting of Hill House in Schrader's Court. Scott Lee's chilling debut about cursed vinyl records that open a gateway to the land of the dead. And I, I want to make one thing very clear for those. So Heart Shape Box, not the Nirvana song, the Joe right. Hill book. And Haunting of Hill House, not the Shirley Jackson book, the Mike Flanagan show. Like that's, you know, if you go in there expecting the Shirley Jackson book, I'll be so heartbroken because like that, like it's not that at all. As much as I love it, it has the best first paragraph in any book of all time. You, She did it. She did it. Like everybody tries to write the perfect first paragraph, but she got it down. And one day I will get that whole yeah. thing tattooed on me. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. To me, it was more like high fidelity meets Beetlejuice meets Final Destination meets maybe some other <laughs> Stephen King something. It's so yeah. funny. Like, Not I, it, I, but like I, maybe I've heard a, a couple bit. people say, like, High Fidelity. I'm like, well, yeah. Um, yeah, but like I've heard right. a couple people say Beetlejuice, which makes me so happy. But like that's not was in my it wasn't in my brain, but it's obviously like imprinted on my DNA. But yeah, like I've had people say like Hellraiser because they're like, oh, it's like the oh. records are like the puzzle box that kind of open up yeah. again. I was like, right, yeah, that mm-hmm. yeah, that makes sense. And then Final Destination, I've never seen Final Destination any of them. And so when I, even my editor was like, oh yeah, it's like Final Destination, like the death is coming for them. And I was just yeah. like, you mean like Dead Like Me? She's like, no, Final Destination. The movie's like, oh yeah, I never saw it. And then I finally did watch it. Really good. Yeah. <laughs> Really good. Oh my God, Dead Like Me. I loved that show. <laughs> so good. But that's one of those shows, like, I have to be careful because if I watch too many episodes, I everything will kill me. Like, I'll go downstairs and be like, that peanut butter is sitting too precariously close to the edge of the shelf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but I think I told Natalie, there's humor in some of these weird scenes. And I again, I don't want to give too much away, but like the dad reminds me of, of Beetlejuice, like Michael Keaton as right. Beetlejuice. And so if there's ever a movie of Shader's Gord, which I hope there will be, although I don't know how you could film any, some parts of those, like, <laughs> I'm not, again, not going to ruin it, but like some parts will be very hard to capture in a, a movie situation, but the dad should definitely be Michael Keaton, just like Beetlejuice. That is great casting. That's that's <laughs> so that's good. great casting. That would be really really good. I um yeah. yeah. If they ever make a movie, I just want to see how they how the composer makes the chord. Yeah. Because I kind of oh, I yeah. kind of wrote any future future composer into like a corner because I was like, what are you gonna do? Like you know you have to use like sub microtonal notes and all this kind of stuff and make it sound like really really 
out there and unlike any chord that's ever been made. And so in my head, it's sort of like Polymorphia, the Pendereski piece of music. It's just all that, like you best probably heard for those that don't know uh, Pendereski, it was in The Shining, where it is just like these like million atonal notes all going up and down the strings. And it's it can be really nauseating when you listen to it. And I should have put that on my uh, my list today, not to jump forward, oh. but that's a good one. That'll be a, uh, a uh, what do you call that? A runner up, an honorable mention. Well, yeah. Well, I think you just hinted at it, but every time. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to like, I'm not trying to like push the schedule forward. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just, it's good that you're here because every time we have our friends in the store, we always play the high fidelity game, as you know, because you've been here before and you've mm-hmm. played it with us, which I think the last time you played the high fidelity game with us, it might've been Christmas songs. It was Christmas songs. Wow. Yeah. So I was thinking, you know, it's getting cold outside. You have your spooky book, your rock and roll horror book. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot of songs out there that fit onto a Halloween playlist. True. And we just had Halloween, but aren't necessarily Halloween songs. Like not the Monster Mash, but like songs on records that just sound kind of spooky, kind of eerie. When we have our friends in the store, we like to play the high fidelity game. Do you want to play with us today? Yeah, totally. Heck yeah. Sweet. It sounds like you came prepared. I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was a pretty easy one to do. I um yeah, yeah like especially like this time of year, like these songs, yeah. these songs work well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you have a do you have music that you listen to when it's fall and winter? Like oh, without tight? a doubt. Yeah. I um it's funny, like I separate my stones. By between like 60s stones and 70s stones, like 70s stones is summer music. That's like, you know, some girls and yeah, yeah, like, but like 60s stones, like between the buttons and aftermath, that that's, that's, that's winter. That's, that's cold stones. Warm stones is 70s. Um, but yeah. <laughs> and like, awesome. I, I, I do, I, I like, I listened to a lot of like Moonface, uh, like Spencer Krug's solo stuff, like his, um, his album, uh, Julia with blue jeans on and like the, uh, city record EP. Cause it's, he recorded it, I think somewhere in Scandinavia, like in the winter. So it just sounds oh. super cold. Yeah. Um, I listened to like a lot of joy division. Like it's hard for me to listen to joy division in the summer. So I'm just like, yeah. I, I'm not supposed to be bummed out right now. Right. Plus you're supposed to be wearing like a black cardigan, maybe black leather jacket, like jeans, boots. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It feels weird to listen to it in the summertime. Exactly. Although I remember like my, uh, my, ex-girlfriend would always give me so much shit living in New York because I would just wear my like Doc Martin boots all year round and be like 110 degrees in the city. She's like, why? What's the matter with you? And I was like, because, first of all, they like fit like a glove. They're perfect. Yeah. Um, but I would like, I'd get back from walking around the city for six hours and my feet would just be just like two ovens. I'm like, yeah, I should probably get some tennis shoes. Are you born, are you from, from Seattle? Uh, from, yeah. So I like lived in Seattle for a few years, then lived in, then grew up in Spokane, which is like, uh, 280 miles east on, uh, on the other side of Washington state, which is even colder than Seattle. It's like snow six months of the year. Yeah. Well, I was going to say your answer should have been like, I'm from Washington state. I'm wearing my Doc Martens. Yeah. I like, I have like pine sap in my blood. (laughs) Like this is, you know, I, we don't do warm weather well. Yeah. Like when I lived in LA, I lived in LA for like 10 years and all my friends were like, why do you wear jackets all the time? It's like, because I have to, because it's just, I can't. And like, if I just wear a t-shirt, I just feel like I'm like a five-year-old. I feel like I'm Dennis the Menace. (laughs) Just doesn't, doesn't work for me. Wow. Okay, wait. So, Natalie, last time we did a hi-fi game, I went first, so it's your turn to go first this time. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I can do that. All right. So, we're doing songs that aren't really intended to be spooky, but are kind of spooky. Yeah. Okay. Okay, So, I don't think any of the songs on my list could could, uh, end up in a Halloween playlist per se, but maybe. 
But these are just songs that creep me out on a personal level, all right? So there's something about my psychology that just doesn't jive. So I'm going to start with my number five pick. It's What Game Shall We Play Today from Chick Corea and Return to Forever. Now, that's a totally random, random thing to pick because it's actually one of my favorite songs. Yeah. Classic jazz fusion album, you know, from Return to Forever, I think in 1972. Yeah. But, and I love the song. It makes me so happy. It's it's just so great. But there's something, something about stuff that's just too happy and charming and light that just has like this undercurrent. There's just something sinister about it under the surface. It makes me feel like some Hansel and Gretel shit's happening yeah. and I'm being carted off to my doom. Do you know what I mean? Like, I love the song, but if I'm at home alone at night and I'm just vibing to music, I would never put this on. If I'm like driving out on a deserted country road at night, I would never put this on because there's just something that creeps me out about it. I don't know what it is. There is like a weird, like sinister fairy tale kind of aspect to it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good pick. I can hear that. It's got this like sing-songy, it's like I'm being hexed. <laughs> and actually of the songs in your book, which again, I maybe this is a question I want to ask you too about about this, guys. How do, how did you pick the songs in the book? Because there's a there are songs like that, Natalie, that are kind of like happy but not but if you put them in the right setting, it could be totally creepy. Like Ico. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, totally. I, Ico Ico ended up in there just because I like that might be like in my top five songs of all time. Like when I lived in New Orleans, just to hear people like in the street, just like calling out Giacomo Finane, like it's just, it's part of the vernacular. I just love that song. Like my dad loved that song. But yeah, like that was in there. And like, I always, I like, there's a part where like a car crashes and like Petula Clark's Downtown is playing. And like, I don't know, there's oh, something yeah. about that, like maybe because it was like featured in Jaws too. I don't know. Like that always kind of had like a creepy aspect to it. It was also in Short Circuit though. That's true. Also, <laughs> that's also true. Oh, good old Johnny Five. But yeah, like picking the songs, I can say this, like the book was originally a lot longer. So I cut out a lot. And right up until the final edit, I was switching out songs all the time. So yeah. I like it'll it's funny because I don't even really know what ended up in the book because I changed them out so many times. But yeah, I did create a playlist with most of the stuff that was in there that did get taken out, coupled with all the stuff that's in there as well. Oh, um, okay. So yeah, that's gonna be a, that's really smart. another question. Yeah. Like what what are all of these songs? Where did they come from? Because I know they weren't all mentioned in the book, that's for no. sure. Yeah, a lot of them were in the book to begin with. A lot of them were songs I was listening to as I was writing the book. Um, a lot of them are, some of them, some of them are songs that I think that certain characters would like. And then some, there are titles that just hint at stuff that happens in the book. Oh, yeah, cool. Yeah, like there's even like, oh, and then there's a song in there, like the Nick Cave song, Bright Horses off of Ghostine. That's just a, a reference to, there's a scene with horses that's hopefully pretty horrific. Yeah, it's, it's, shocking. Yeah. Sure. So yeah, that's kind of what it is. Yeah, but it is, it's, I, I, I was very dubious about a lot of the, the song choices because I was like, once it, once it's there and it's printed, it's done and I can't go back and change it. And as I'm sure people like us all know, like when creating a playlist, it's, you know, it's, you're like, ah, oh, but I, there's got to be a better one out there. <laughs> it's just, I know there's a better track that can fit in this space. Um, yeah. And so we just torture ourselves and yeah. eventually you just got to let it go. Yeah. Back to your song though, Natalie. I feel like <laughs> Ico is definitely one of those that's like kind of happy but can be creepy. Just like the Chikoria song. 
Yeah, it's it's an effect that I it's something that I think is particularly effective, like in video games, too, where nothing creeps me out more than running around in this apocalyptic or like spooky horror setting. And then there's like a radio somewhere playing some fun, lighthearted dance yeah. music from the 40s or something. Oh, yeah. That yeah. gets me every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I hate that so yeah. much. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right. So my next pick is the Wu-Tang Clan Triumph. So I had to get the Wu-Tang Clan in there in general, because a lot of their songs, I, I think they have some really cool, like, horror-esque kind of creepy beats going on with yeah. you know, these samples that are just really evocative of, like, a horror setting. And um, I picked Triumph from their 97 uh, big comeback album, Wu-Tang Forever. This particular track, I think it's the only Wu-Tang track with all the members present, which is pretty dope. Is that real? Is that right? It's, yeah, I think so. Wow. It includes what's widely regarded as one of the best verses in hip-hop history from Inspector Deck right at the beginning. It's one of my favorites. But yeah, this beat from RZA, always, always super spooky, especially when the strings come in on like the higher octave and there's some kind of like organ sounding synth he brings on. It's just, it's straight out of Transylvania. Yeah. I love it. (laughs) It's really, really good. Another fun, spooky connection with this track. I read this in a complex uh, magazine interview. Method Man says that this track was recorded in Ray Parker Jr.'s studio, (laughs) who created and performed the Ghostbusters theme, another iconic spooky banger. So I always thought that was kind of a fun connection. Yeah, that is a fun connection. (laughs) There's a part of Ghostbusters that always confused me when he's just like, you know, like, I hear it likes the girls. Like, why, Ray? Like, wh- where did that come from? Like, everything else makes sense. <laughs> Even the weird, like, Bustin' makes me feel good line, which is questionable. It's the best. But, like, the like I hear it likes the girls. Like, I mean, maybe phonetically it just fit, but I, I want to, like, I want to, like, sit down with Ray and be like, why that line? <laughs> yeah, where'd that come from? Yo, since you mentioned it, there is an entire remix of that song based off of that line, Bustin' makes me feel good. Oh. And when I say it is my ultimate dance anthem, my partner and I, like if we want to get, if we want to pregame or like just have a little silly dance part, party at home, yeah. bust in. That is the jam. <laughs> That's awesome. You should look that up on YouTube. What? It's awesome. I That's awesome. That. It's so good. All right. So my number three pick is Arca Confianza. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So, Confianza. This is from her 2021 album, Kick 2. Okay, this song, I I felt the panic in my chest immediately because it just, it gets too weird too fast. (laughs) It just kind of catches me off guard. Like, there's no, (laughs) it doesn't hold your hand. Right. It's this crazy experimental avant-garde, electro, reggaeton kind of shindig, and it's a ride. It's it's a real ride. Um, The piano is just absolutely gorgeous, and... Her singing is just all frenzied and defiant and tormented. It's really intense. Um, but lyrically, the song is just, its I think it's just an empowering and passionate call to action. You know, confianza, of course, means confidence. The lyrics are basically about embracing your desires and asserting yourself boldly. I mean, just look at the cover art for this album. Like, confianza sounds the way the cover looks, basically. Like, we're, we're delving into some very kinky shit here. Yeah. It's intriguing, also kind of terrifying. Kind of, yeah, like like Clive Barker's works. Like <laughs> mm-hmm. kinky and terrifying, like you cannot look away. Exactly, oh, exactly. But I do love this song. Yeah, as Arca strange as it is makes me feel. Special. Like Arca's, yeah, I indeed. Mean, 
And just the fact that, you know, like when like Bjork can picks you to work with her, like that's saying something. Definitely. Yeah, that was a strange era, that, that uh, Arca Bjork. <laughs> the Arca Bjork era. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that one. <laughs> kind of lost me on that one, but oh, I, really? I respect it, you know. That's cool. A little bit. That's cool. A little bit. I yeah. don't know this okay. one. I don't know that Arca song. I'll have to check it out. But I know the album to it. art and it was definitely a very Insane. strange thing. Yeah. <laughs> Experience. <laughs> a lot going kinda, on. Yeah, a lot going on. That's a good way of describing it for sure. Okay. We are in the home stretch. My number two pick is Aphex Twin, Beatles. Trying to think which from one his that 96, is. It's from his 96 Girl Boy EP. Okay. Yeah, the first time I heard this track... I was mad uncomfortable. It freaked me out because I felt like I was being set up for a crazy jump scare, you know? <laughs> right. It made me very paranoid. It's like this weird, twisted children's nursery rhyme thing. Yeah, and the lyrics are just random. I I, I don't want beetles under my feet. I don't like creepy crawlies hiding under the carpet. Just the, the imagery alone was like, eh, that's okay. Right. I don't know. <laughs> it's a little bit like the Chick Korea. It's just, it sounds too happy and too like, eh, yeah, for kids. Yeah. There was a YouTube video that I saw like, in the early 2000s or late 90s, I can't remember, probably early 2000s. And I thought it was Aphex Twin, but it was something like Rubber Boy or something like that. Do you guys happen to know what I'm talking about? Rubber Boy. And it was like this, like, I don't know, for whatever reason, like the video made it seem like this was a real person, but it was like strange, like, like, oh, almost oh yeah, like an, Rubber Johnny. Rubber Johnny, yes. It was Rubber Johnny. Was that? It was a Chris Cunningham. Yeah, man. Oh, was that? That was yeah, an that Apex was weird. Twin. Yeah, it was. It was very weird. Yeah. But was there a video Apex. for that one? Yeah. There is. It's creepy. That it's that's a Chris Chris Cunningham video. Oh, Chris Cunningham. Mm-hmm. I, I thought I heard that name for a second. Okay, I think I have seen that one. Yeah, yeah. Apex Twin really messed messed up my sleep frequently in my teens. Awesome. So creepy. Actually, recently, like in 2020, I think there was there was a video of what I who I assume was Aphex Twin singing this song, Beatles. And he's doing that creepy shit where he superimposes that weird smiling face yeah. from his album covers over his own. And it's all distorted while he's singing. It's just very upsetting. I have seen <laughs> so that. So if you want to be creeped out again, you should look it up. I saw Aphex Twin at Primavera Sound in 2017. And he did nice. that on people's faces in the crowd. It was oh, bizarre. Yeah. Oh, weird. Yeah. It was weird. He had some special video effect. Super creepy. Yeah, definitely one of the creepiest faces in music is that face. Yeah. Yeah. Just iconic, iconically terrifying. Yeah. That and the come to daddy, you know, screaming. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Jaw unhinging thing. Oh, God. All right. So my number one pick is very super random, but this one creeps me out too. It's from Laraji. Is this clear? Part three. Is this very clear? You could be that good. I don't know this Are one. Are you familiar with Laraji? So Laraji is one of the pioneers of ambient music. And this is a track from his 1984 album, Vision Songs, Volume 1. So he's been pretty active, um, even to this day, releasing music since the late 70s, including uh, his 1980 album, Ambient 3, Day of Radiance, which was produced by Brian Eno. Nice. But uh, Vision Songs is like his, his magnum opus. So there are three versions of this song, Is This Clear, on the album. 
I don't know why. It's all good, whatever. But this one is definitely the strangest. It's the final track on the album. And it comes off even stranger when you've heard the previous two versions. It's just really out of left field. So in this version, after each stanza, it pitches up. The music speeds up. His voice gets a little bit more chipmunky. And you're just like, why is this happening? And it just sort of like repeats and gets faster and faster and (laughs) pitchier and pitchier. And by the end, the song is just kind of chugging along. And I I just would love to ask him what inspired this this choice. Um, Well, I want to read the lyrics. He's playing at Big Ears this year, this next year. So you should go and ask him. (laughs) Oh, that's hysterical. Oh, that would be really cool. They just walk up and be like, He's still making music. (laughs) I'll just scream it at him. Just like that. So here's, here are the lyrics, because I, I think they're cool. It goes like this. This is where this is going on. This is where this is taking place. This is how this is going on. Is this very clear? You couldn't be that, because that is that. And you are this, this way. Is this very clear? You could know, know about that, because you are this, and this is all you can be. Is this very clear? <laughs> and I just love that. I think, I think the whole thing, all three parts, is just this meditation. It's like this extended mantra. I just think it's a vibe. That's but yeah, awesome. it ends really weird. I'm adding it right now. <laughs> that reminds me of some more nightmare fuel that I remember from my childhood. There was this mm-hmm. like live action Alice in Wonderland called Looking Through the Looking Glass or something like that. Yeah. Or Through the Looking Glass, like John Stamos is in it and Eek. Pat Marinus or wait, the Mr. Miyagi guy. I forget his name. Oh, Pat Morita? Pat Pat, Marita, okay. Yeah. And then like all these other people, I don't know why those are the only two I can remember off the top of my head right now, but Carol Channing, and she's the one who's in the nightmare fuel, but she's she's pricked her finger on her pin after she had just gotten finished singing this song, jam tomorrow, jam yesterday, but never ever jam today. And uh, Alice is like helping her or whatever. And she's like, how's your thumb? And she's like, better, much better. And then she turns into a sheep. (laughs) I think that might be the same one. Um, Is that the one with Sammy Davis Jr. who plays the caterpillar? Yes. Who sings You Your Old Father William? What is this? Yes. Isn't that also the same one too? Like where like in like one of like the houses, they're like screaming like pepper and they like keep putting like pepper on the baby and then like the baby turns into a pig. Pig. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. And then like that's where like the Jabberwocky shows up and it's like super creepy. Yeah. That was a good one. And it's like this like wet looking Tyrannosaurus Rex monster thing. Yeah. It's all made of like shiny like black mylar. Yeah. Yeah. The 80s, why was I watching some of this stuff as a child? Like I don't know, Labyrinth, but like- Dark Crystal, Never yeah. Ending Story. There's some creepy stuff. Like Never like, Ending Story, especially like like the uh, like the Gamork, like the uh, like the wolf-like <laughs> thing is like really creepy. Like Morla, the ancient yes. one, like the giant turtle, super creepy, but it's so yeah. good. It's so good. And plus, I mean, you got Lee Mall doing the, lame, like the theme song with Georgia Moroder. Like you can't go wrong. And Artex dying scene, if you've watched as an adult, is too real. I'm like, how was I not Trump? Maybe I, I was. I, I mentioned that, that in the book. Oh yeah, yeah. Our text, yeah, is singing in the swamps forgotten. of sadness. Yeah, it's yeah. So sad. Yeah, I think God Artax comes back at the end. Like spoilers, everybody from that 1984 movie, but Artax yeah. does come back. <laughs> if you uh, haven't seen it yet, you're really missing it's out. It's so good. Yeah, it's, it's so creepy. Good. That quote well, that sounds terrifying. The lyrics from that Laraji song reminded me of the jam tomorrow, jam yesterday, but never ever <laughs> jam today. Okay, well, definitely listen to it before bed in the dark. Okay, I'll do that. <laughs> get all cozy. Just get nice welcome. and creeped out. All right. Well, that's that's my list of uh, spooky songs that have traumatized me over time. <laughs> there are some songs on there that I'm just totally unfamiliar with, and now I am a little bit afraid to listen to them, though. I know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, yeah. I wrote down like three of them. I was like, okay, I'm in. 
Sweet. So creepy. my job is done. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to hand it off to the horror master. Scott, we want to hear. I was like, is that me? I don't know. That is indeed you. you. Um, We want to hear your spooky songs. I don't know if like the book is that scary. I can tell you this, the next book will be a lot scarier. Uh Uh-oh. How long did it take you to write Strader's Cord? Um, About four months. That's it? Four months? Yeah, four months. Yeah. And some of the imagery, like the horse thing you were just talking about, I'm like, how does that even, how do you even come up with a scene like that? It's so Uh, I I can still remember. I was in bed. It was like two in the morning and I was just like listening to music or whatever like that. And and that scene just went boop. And I was like, all right. Were you on drugs? No, no. Like I just was hanging out and it just popped in there. What? And I was like, uh, and I was so tired. Like I wanted to go to sleep. But I was like, if I don't write this now, I'm, I'm going to forget it. Yeah. So I got out of bed. My dog was really pissed off because he was like laying on my feet. And I was like, you got to get off. And so I pushed him off and then sat down right here and typed it out. Yeah. It just popped in there. Even the, I'm just going to say the tree. Mm-hmm. That was disturbing. I, that that was my little love letter to Poltergeist. Um, like when I saw that movie <laughs> when I was a kid and like the tree like comes, breaks through the window and like takes the kid and yeah. like that just scared the hell out of me. And um, yeah, there is a big tree right outside my childhood window that has these just long reaching claws that when I was a kid would scrape against my window. And I asked my dad so many mm-hmm. times to go and just clip off those branches. And he was like, yeah, yeah, I will, I will, I will. And then never did. <laughs> Because I'm like, I get it. It was kind of precarious to get, because like, I'm above like one of this like kind of gabled roof kind of thing. And I get it. it yeah, I wouldn't want to go up there either. But um, yeah, it just scared the hell out the, of me. What about the bathtub scene? Is that an homage to The Shining? It is. It is. Okay. To, to Mrs. Massey. Yeah. That's, um, it but, felt like that. Yeah. and like <laughs> It also I, creeped me out just like that one did. I, that one, like it's, <laughs> I've, uh, like people have talked to me about that scene a couple times where, they were like, you know, what is it about it that made you want to write it? I was like, well, first of all, it was homage to The Shining and like woman in a bathtub. Anybody in a bathtub that's not supposed to be there is not not cool, man. Um, yeah. <laughs> but what really made me, to me, it's like it's sad, scary because there is something really horrifying about feeling or the thought of dying in a place and nobody knows that yeah. you're there. Yeah. And you know how, uh, you know, I'm not giving it anything away. It's just one of the scare scenes in the book, but like she reaches out, she grabs Anna and is just like, don't leave me. Like nobody knows that I died here. And that, yeah. that to me is like way scarier. And like, I've had people like, that's not scary. And I'm like, well, that's cool. But that terrifies me. Like if I die, like somebody better find me immediately. Cause I don't want to be just sitting here rotting. That'd be terrible. Um, that's kind of how I feel about Candyman. Like it yeah. feels like such a sad story to me. Yeah. I grew up in this like really bad part of town. And yeah, I think there, man, it's been a long time since I've seen that movie too, but I think there's like a Romeo Juliet, like love situation couldn't happen then yeah. either. And I like, like, let's be real too. Like Tony Todd is a genius. He performed that role of Candyman better than anybody else that I can think of could. Like he did it with such yeah. like gravitas, but also like he got the creepy factor in there. And also, he like, also did put the bees in his, in his mouth, mouth too. which is insane. Where you're like, man, like that is <laughs> that is dedication crazy. to your craft. And like, yeah. you know, also like it's the music is Philip Glass. It's just it is, you know, it's a that is a classy horror movie right there. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen the new one, though. Like I, the one that Jordan Peele produced. I haven't seen that one yet, but I'm um, I, w- I want to. Yeah, I haven't either. I didn't even know there was a new one. Yeah. But I don't know if I could watch a new one. I love the original one so much. Yeah. I don't know. I'm all, I'm into it. Like, you know, <laughs> like if you guys, like if there's a different take on it, like I, um, like I'm super into like the new Chucky show, which is what? so good. There's a good. new Chucky show? It's so good. It's, it's oh, like, wow. it's one of those things where you're like, there's no reason this show should be as good as it is. 
And it totally is. Where is that? Where do you watch that? Uh, I watch it on Peacock. Um, on Peacock. But I think you can also get it on Hulu. I, I think you can get it a couple other places. Mm. But yeah, it's it's super good. And like they tackle, like Don Mancini, um, the guy who created Chucky um, and has kind of written Chucky all the way through the whole series. He's sort of the keeper of the key to Chucky. Like he like works some really timely stuff into the storyline, which you'd think like for a, a Chucky story, like it wouldn't really make sense, but it really does in the story. And it's, um yeah, they tackle some really kind of like hot button issues where you're like, right on, mm, way to go, Chucky. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I mean, the doll doesn't, but like the show does. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's really good. It's really good. Another thing I wanted to talk about before we get into your list, if that's okay, yeah. is the setting in Seattle because things like that, I, I love when a writer puts their their place, yeah, their hometown or like where they live and things like that in their books because like Cormac McCarthy, for example, on the road, he had a house in Louisville, Tennessee, where I grew up. And you can tell, I mean, he doesn't outright say it, but the way he describes some of the landscapes when they're crossing pretty much the South mm-hmm. To get to the coast, it's post-apocalyptic, son and dad going to, you know, a new place. And yeah, I just feel like you can tell he's in like Knoxville. Yeah. He's like crossing through Tennessee in some parts. And I'm like, okay, this is it. You can just tell, you know, because from there and I don't know. Totally. It's another connection to the story for me. And I know you're, you live in Seattle. You've been there for a while or I, I'm all, I'm all over, I'm all over the place. Like, yeah, it's, I like, I lived for a long time in Seattle, Spokane, Portland, yeah. Bellingham. I've been all over the Pacific Northwest. But yeah, Seattle is all in your book. You even talk about KEXP. Mm-hmm. You talk about other record stores, uh, not just the Cuckoo's Nest, but is the Cuckoo's Nest real? And how did you? So yeah, the Cuckoo's Nest is not real. Um, it, like Fremont is a very real place, um, but uh, Asterian Avenue is not real. So like I, I, you know, was it, That's I think it was the like street the record store is on. Yeah, um, the bar across the street. Uh, so the bar El Camino is real. Oh, okay. Um, and it's a great place. It does not have a jukebox, not at least that I remember. But I so I had, but I, you know, I was like, you guys need a jukebox. Throw it in there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like uh, uh, Shucker's Restaurant, the Oyster Bar, where Charlie runs into a, a particularly spooky dead guy is a very real place. And I was just in Seattle with Seth and they seated us at the booth that, uh, oh. uh, that and like, we didn't ask. Like they just sat us in that booth. Oh. And I was like, I'm sitting where the guy has the gun. Um, but uh, yeah, so yeah, there are very real places in there. I just, you know, I wanted to, like you said, like, you know, Cormac McCarthy writes a lot about the South and the Southwest and Southeast and he's, that's kind of his area. King obviously writes a lot about Maine. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, uh, like John Irving writes a lot about sort of the, the, the Northeast and stuff. And I was like, well, I've lived in most of these places, but the Pacific Northwest is my home. Uh, and it's yeah. the place that I know the best. And um, also, it's just really great setting for creepy stuff to happen. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's just got a good creepy vibe yeah. to it. I mean, you know, there's a reason Lynch set Twin Peaks here because um, mm-hmm. it, it looks like that. Yeah. Like lots of log trucks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which... Yeah, Final Destination. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I know that <laughs> reference now because now I've seen that movie. Nice. Okay, well, All right. I'm excited to hear your list of creepy not Halloween songs. So, creepy not Halloween songs. The first one, uh, we've talked about it a couple times. And Natalie, you even mentioned like, you know, walking in an abandoned area and having a radio play like an old creepy 40s song. I, I got to pull it right from The Shining. It's Midnight, The Stars and You by Al Bully and his orchestra <laughs> when uh, Jack Torrance is walking into the gold room. Midnight 
and a rendezvous. Uh, or the Gold Ballroom. It's, um, I love 1930s and 40s big band. It might be my favorite type of music other than New Orleans jazz. And, uh... Yeah, this song, when I saw it as a, like, when I saw this movie as a kid, it was just like, there's something beautiful. There's something really spooky about it. There's something really romantic about it, but it is unsettling. And um, I just love it. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. I mean, it does really have such a good effect. It does. Like, and, and Kubrick had like the, like so many songs to choose from and he picked the right one. Like that's, that's the one, you know, like you could have picked an Artie Shaw song, a Glenn Miller song, a, um, a Harry James song, a Spike Jones song, so many different songs you could have chosen, but none of them would have worked as good as, as well as that one. So Mm -hmm. yeah, there's something super cool. Do you think there's like musically a reason why that is? I think, I think honestly it's the, um, the arrangement. There's just something, it's got that really slow swing to it. Because obviously there were slow songs back in the 30s and 40s in the big band era. I mean, you know, like Moonlight Serenade and and um, Begin the Begin and stuff. But there's just something about the arrangement of the song, about the melody, where it just feels sort of like a memory. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think um, there's just... Because like the, the actual lyrics, you know, and for me, I'm not a lyrics person. That's not to say that I don't like them. But I just, I, I always listen to the music first and the lyrics second, which has gotten me in trouble with a lot of relationships where I'll send a playlist. And I'll be like, why'd you send me this song? And I'll be like, because it's amazing. Like, listen to, the, listen to the music. They're like, did you listen to the lyrics? And I was like, no. And she's like, it's a breakup song. I was like, yeah, I retract that song. Um, but did you hear like the change from like a B to like an E sharp? Like it was so good. Um, That's like the Cure songs. They all sound pretty happy, but they're like incredibly depressing and, and sad yet, lyrically. And yet, like Robert Smith has been with his partner oh, yeah. for like ever. Yeah. And so you're like, I are they that. sad songs? Because I mean, are they- have they... a tinge of sad, you know? I mean, true. He is like, you know, one of those like artsy fartsy kind of goth kids, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, it's just like, oh, I'm sad. And, you know, and we love him for that. But yeah, like I remember when I found out, like he's been with his person for like 40 years. And I was like, I, it kind of, it put the songs in a new light. Because I always thought like, man, Robert Smith just must have broken up with, had so many bad breakups. <laughs> and then yeah. I'm like, yeah. And like, yeah, like the entire- Length of the cure. He's been with her, and I'm yeah. like, maybe they weren't sad songs. Maybe they were happy songs. Love songs. Just yeah. you know, dressed just just, like, just dressed in black tulle. Yes, they were yeah. goth right. love songs. <laughs> yeah, totally. Which is smeared lipstick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's true. Um, so my number four again. Um, I can't really speak to the lyrics very much, but there's something about the music that's oddly unsettling. I don't know if it's necessarily spooky or creepy, but it always just kind of sets me off and and we did talk about her before but um it's a uh, unison the last song on um vespertine by bjork before you count one two three i will have grown my own private branch there's oh. something just really just like two clicks left of center i just feel like one foot off the merry-go-round when i hear that song and it's gorgeous and it's sprawling and it's beautiful but yeah it um it also just kind of makes me unnerved a little bit wait can you say that line again about the merry-go-round what did i say what did i say i don't listen to words i say i just talk (laughs) until someone tells me to shut up two two clicks off Oh, two clicks left, left of center. Merry-go-round? Oh, yeah, like one, one, one foot off the merry-go-round. One foot off the merry-go-round. Yeah, that's a little bit how I feel about, or maybe it's because of the music video, but violently happy. Yeah, yeah, we're just yeah, it's just you just feel a little off. Yeah, yeah, but it's so fun and very happy. But like the video and the words, violently happy, mm-hmm. make you think. Okay, crazy person. Yeah. <laughs> 
definitely the end of that song, like when the the choir comes in, yeah, and everything just gets all swirly, and the the beat, the music drops away, and it gets all like definitely enmeshed, like, yeah. Yeah, it's like the floor has been pulled from underneath. Yeah, you know, totally. Yeah, I get that for sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's number four. Um, number three, um, a relatively new song. I guess uh, I think "Midnight the Stars and You" is the only really kind of old song here. Um, but it's "Unmade" by Tom York, uh, which he wrote for uh, Suspiria. Which oh. it's very spooky to me, but it's also, again, I don't really can't really speak to the lyrics, but the music itself is so incredibly sad and almost um, it's got despair. And despair for me kind of turns into spookiness. Um, yeah. It's not a song I can listen to every day. It's one of the more beautiful songs I've ever heard. It really, I think, solidified Tom York as as an equal of Johnny Greenwood's when it comes to film composition. Cause it's not that I ever thought Tom would do a worse job. I'm just like, man, that's, that's Johnny's place. What are you, what are you doing, Tom? And then I heard the soundtrack and I was like, Nope. Yep. You're, you're just as good. Yeah. And that song just, I remember seeing that movie for the first time at the end when, you know, and I don't want to spoil anything, but something like super <laughs> wackadoo happens at the end, <laughs> but this song is playing and it's, it's just viscera and, and violence and just oodles and oodles of blood, but set to this really sad, very delicate, very, just this tune full of despair. Um, and so I think the, the mixture of the, my memory of that scene and the song kind of lend itself to a, a creepiness, um, a sort of an off-kilterness. Because I think yeah. for me, creepiness, I, you, know, you know, creepiness is, is like, you know, it's like a fingerprint. Everybody's definition is a little bit different, I think. Mm -hmm. And for me, I've always think I, I, the thing that scares me the most or things that creeps me out the most in the world um, are the absurd. You know, like, sure, there's a monster in the closet. That's scary. Right. But if there's, you know, like a toaster in the closet that sings happy birthday every five minutes, <laughs> that's really creepy. Like, I, why? Why? Yeah. Like, why is this? Right. You know, um, like Natalie, when you were talking about, yeah, that song where you were just like, I just want to ask why, why did you keep speeding up the, like the lyric? Like, why, why does it do that? The, and the absurd always scared me. I was just going to say, I feel like it kind of makes you question your own sanity too, which makes you like, what's, yeah. I, when the reason for something, <laughs> yeah, well, when the reason for something is hidden, that kind of creeps me out. Um, yeah. it's the same thing. Like I, I had mentioned Clive Barker earlier. Like I saw Hellraiser when I was way too young much too young to understand the themes that he was talking about, but there was something about it that scared me to the point where just the visuals, like the Cenobites, like when they would do, you know, I had no concept of like S&M when I was five, you know? So yeah. I didn't understand like what's with the self-mutilation, why, you know, and like all the black leather. And it, there was some like, there was something very clearly adult happening here that I couldn't understand, that I couldn't wrap my brain around and something so absurd about the way they looked and how they weren't like Jason or Freddy, where they were coming after Christy Cotton with a knife, where they were basically like, you know, we're angels to some, demons to others. And I was like, that doesn't make sense. Uh, you know, I'm a kid. I understand crazy person with a knife. Like, I understand that. But I don't understand there's like nuance to this and how, you know, Frank Cotton finding the box, the whole point of the box was to find new realms of pleasure. I'm like, why would pain be pleasure? That was absurd to me. And so that movie has always really stuck with me. And I've since loved every single word that Clive Barker has written and I, and I love him. Did Clive Barker do In the Mouth of Madness? Uh, no, that was John Carpenter. 
Um, John Carpenter. But a very similar vibe. Yeah. There's yeah. the guy with the crazy white hair riding the bicycle that has a card stuck in the wheel. Like Perfect over example. and over. You keep, you keep seeing this dude over and over. And it's so creepy and so bizarre. And you're like, that more yeah. than anything in that book was the most terrifying thing. Totally agree. You just go, why? Why yeah. is that there? It, and that's that's the stuff that scares me the most. And I think that that happens in music too, where you just go, why? And I love the why. I love that they yeah. do it, but it's it, it always kind of spooks me. Yeah. Yeah. I just I just want to ask you one more question because I've been trying for ages to work up the courage to watch Suspiria. Okay. Because I feel like- I haven't seen it either. I, f- I feel like I would appreciate it. I want to experience the music and context and everything, but I don't do well with horror. Okay. Like I, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm completely chicken when it comes to horror, especially when it's like you said, when it's absurdist or, or if it's more psychological, like you can, you can give me slasher gore all day. Sure. I'm fine. But those, the things that kind of tickle your gray matter, that's the stuff I don't do so well with. Should I give it up? Or do you think it's worth uh, the continued effort to try to watch this movie? Have you seen the original Suspiria? The no, Argento that version. sounds even worse. Um, no. it's, I, I would say the original Suspiria is closer to a slasher. Um, it's, it's really beautiful. It's very colorful. I mean, like if you like Technicolor, like that movie's for you. Hmm. The thing that I love about the Luca Guadagnino Suspiria, the new one, is that it's a fucking vibe. Like it's, it's, there are definitely creepy moments to it. And like the end is like very visceral and bloody. But what it really is, is it is the feeling of a cold, rainy day, you know, with this is, you know, pre um, wall coming down uh, Germany. It's a very sort of desolate, very desaturated, very cold movie. And when you're done with it, it's going to take a while to shake it off. I don't know if it'll scare you. It didn't scare me. And just because I'm a, I write horror does not mean I don't get scared. I get scared of everything. That's how I know what's scary to write. I'm not a brave person by any stretch of imagination. I think anybody who's a horror writer that's not scared of anything would be like the haunted remote control. Like they don't know what to write about. <laughs> so like movies scare me all the time, but Suspiria didn't scare me. Suspiria just, it, yeah, it's just a vibe. Um, I think you'd be okay. Oh man, now I want to watch it more than ever. <laughs> yeah, like and the, and like that's the other thing too. Like the the soundtrack is so good. It's a very long movie. It's very deliberately paced, but it will it will if you're anything like me, it it'll sort of leave this film on you. And like I had to like take a shower afterward, not because I was like disgusted, but I just needed to like wash the movie off me so I could go about my day and be productive. Because if not, I would just sit there in a room like whoa, like all canoed out. <laughs> like it was dope. It's okay. a good one. I'm going to try to watch it. If it doesn't go well, I will be forwarding you my therapist bills. Well, <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> sounds okay. good. Deal. Um, I kind of want to watch it again myself. Um, <laughs> my next pick is um, from an Italian movie in the 70s. I don't know if he would technically call it a giallo film, but it's it's pretty close. There are probably listeners that are like, yeah, um, or <laughs> listeners that are like, no. But uh, the the movie is uh, Sette Note in Nero or Seven Notes in Black. Um, and this piece of music is by Vince Tempera. And most people would know it because uh, Rizza sampled it in Kill Bill, volume one, oh. I think. It's the scene where Uma Thurman is in the uh, uh, hospital room and she wakes back up out of the coma. Mm-hmm. 
And she basically like, you know, like slices the dude's Achilles heel and it's that, you know, bum, 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 bum. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this is, this is where it came from. That is all just, it's, it's a beautiful melody, but it is really just creepy as hell. And it's really uh, effective. I don't remember I that, that scene. We'll have to go back and wow. rewatch. Yeah. And, you know, just as a fun bit too, like I, I don't think they put it on the soundtrack or maybe they did, but they had like, like sound bites from the movies over, movie over it, which is like, no, don't do that. Just give us Riz's track. Give us the one that he used. Oh, yeah. um, but it's really cool to like listen to them back and forth because like that's where like Riz is really smart where he's like, he recognized like the melody's beautiful and he didn't, he didn't change it too much, but he changed it just enough to like put his own stamp on it. But he didn't like overwhelm it. Like he let it breathe still. Yeah. What a genius. Anyway, that's, cool. that's number two. Mm. Uh, cool. And then uh, my first one, my number one creepy song that is not a Halloween song but still creeps me out is John Wayne Gacy Jr. by Sufjan Stevens. He dressed up like a clown for them With his face paint white and red It's one of those songs, and again, I, I, I'm not a lit lyric listener, but when I read the title of the, the song, I'm like, well, I gotta listen to what he's saying here. <laughs> and I think what makes it so creepy is the tenderness of his voice, the sweetness of the melody, and the horrifying lyrics. It's mm-hmm. just, it's again, it's sort of off kilter. It's, um, it's like an apple and a hand grenade, you know? It's, they're just kind of there at the same time. It's sweet and violent at the same time and, and horrifying and, and tragic. And um, it's really, really creepy and yeah. And just, and when at the end of the song, he just gives out this big, just exhale where it's like, it's like not a sigh. It's just like a, oh, like, it's just, you can tell like he had to, he's trying himself to wash that off of, like off of him, wash it out of his system. Yeah. So that's my, that's my number one. I don't recognize that song yeah, by, it's... you know, by the title, but your description of it, I can, I can imagine it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's off of Chicago and it is, uh, or excuse not Chicago, but uh, come on, feel the Illinois. Um, mm. But yeah, it's it's creepy. I always thought his voice was very like haunting and, and chilling. I I always I, I always say his voice is like a um a uh, the ghost of a camp counselor that I once had. <laughs> right. <laughs> like you know, he's like that cool camp counselor, but he drowned, you know, and now he's back and he's got his little guitar and his little hat and he's just like singing really good songs. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So those are my five. Quick question for you, Scott, before we jump into Tara's list. I'm just curious about your process um, when it comes to like character development. For the characters in your your book, did you have clear real life models that you patterned these characters after? Only for one character, um, Anna Cortez. Mm -hmm. Based on a very close friend of mine... um, I think I can out her because uh, I, I thank her in the back of the book too. But um, I have a friend, uh, Genesis Rodriguez, who's an actor and like a brilliant actor. And she was in Tusk, the Kevin Smith movie. And uh, she's been in a bunch of other stuff. She was just in Neon on uh, Netflix. Go check it out. She was on Umbrella Academy season three on Netflix. Um, so she was, she was heavily, uh, Anna was heavily based on her. Well, like half of Anna was heavily based on her. The other half was really based on me. People are always like, was Charlie you? And I was like, no, I'm more Anna. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, yeah, everybody else is 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 kind of just pulled out of the ether. You know, I think everybody like oh. has like little bits and pieces of people we've all known or personalities, personalities we've known. Because um, mm-hmm. I think it's almost impossible to create somebody that doesn't exist at all. But yeah, when it comes to character development, um, 
I really just, I think I learned it all from, from Stephen King, whereas just like, I'm not a huge person who is interested in plot. Uh, I really like characters, you know, like I love like the movie, My Dinner with Andre. Like where it's like, yeah, it's just two people having dinner and talking like I'm, I'm in. And uh, like, that's the other thing too. Like I, I don't read a lot of horror. I, you know, I'll always read the new Stephen King because I love him. And or if there's a new Clive Barker or like uh, Ramsey Campbell and stuff like that. And, and I have a few friends that write horror and I'll read their books. And there's great stuff that comes out on my imprint, Nightfire as well, that I'll read. But yeah, most of what I read is just like sad bastard stories of like college professors who had affairs with a student. You know, like a lot of Philip Roth novels, Norman Mailer, like the new Zadie Smith book is, might be one of the best books I've read ever. Like I love Zadie Smith a lot, but like this new one is anybody that can write in like a new vernacular and keep it up through an entire book to say nothing of the fact that it's a very long book is amazing to me. It's the same thing with Ken Kesey doing Cuckoo's Nest where it's written in like Chief Bromden's vernacular the whole way through. Like that's tough to keep up. But yeah, so I really like like character studies. It's like as pretentious as that sounds. So yeah, I for me, plot just gets in the way. I'm like, oh, I have to go make them do something. I just want to sit, have them sit mm. them like just talk for two hours. But I can't do that because it wouldn't let me. I really liked Dale. Dale, yeah. The, I was the, just the, gonna the, say that. <laughs> the, le- the, the leather Dale's vest great. with fringe is based on a very real guy uh, that used to run the Battle of the Bands here in Washington. But yeah, just just the look of him was sort of based on that, uh, not the person because he was not from from Northern England. Yeah, I like Dale too. Dale's cool. He was That's like so funny. I I was gonna give you like props on on that character development because I didn't I certainly didn't expect to become as attached to the characters as I did. Yeah, and it's certainly not a minor character, right. you know, or comparatively minor character like Dale. But yeah, I, I vibed with him the most. Like that would have been me yeah. in that scenario. Yeah, like like I it's, leave me out of this. And like, <laughs> like there's some of them too. That like, they, again, the book was way longer. So the characters came back, like Susan, the older sister, like she came back. She doesn't in the book. Uh, my, one of my favorite characters is Harold. He's one of the guys that uh, buys, he's like, he's into big forties, um, big band from the forties. I really love him. He's a customer. And like, I'm like, I just want to hang out with Harold. I just kept writing him and writing him. <laughs> yeah. And eventually I was like, I'm sorry, Harold, I got to cut you. Like, <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah, I got to cut like 40,000 words. And a lot of that was Harold. A lot of that was Susan. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it is, it's tough when you're like, oh, I, I really love these people and I, I don't want to, mm-hmm. but if it doesn't kind of add to the plot or if it doesn't push it forward, you know, it's like, you got to go. Sure. Yeah. But that makes me very yeah. happy that you connected with the characters. That's, that's, uh, that's like <laughs> the only goal. Like, honestly, like if you're like, yeah, I hated the book, but I love the characters. I'm like, awesome. We're good. Yeah. it's a good question, Natalie. Well, Here shall we I do my list? I think so. Are you ready? Let's do it. Okay. My number five, actually, Scott, you mentioned something about like despair uh, and it just being kind of a, a dark thing. Yeah. My number five is Daniel Johnston, Despair Came Knocking. Nice. It's from 1983's Hi, How Are You? Mm-hmm. It has like this kind of sad sounding toy guitar sound. And he's singing about despair visiting him and smoking and how he let her in for a while. It's just really, really, well, weird, number one. But it does sound really sad, uh, which gives it this creepy vibe. And he also says, and I saw you at the funeral. You were standing there like a temple. I said, hi, how are you? Hello. And I pulled up a casket and crawled in. Just (laughs) invokes this sort of 
weird, scary, claustrophobic anxiety feeling in me. But yeah. Oh, totally. And like, yeah, we could do f- top five creepiest Daniel Johnston songs. Like that guy. That's true. Had <laughs> a knack for for just that sort of yeah, that kind of spooky, kind of creepy, kind of. Again, I think it has a lot of it has to do with loneliness too. Yeah. Um, you know, not that I want to tell his story, but he was obviously for a lot of his life a very lonely guy, either literally um, just being alone and kind of shutting himself away and making all that music, or uh, you know, figuratively lonely. Just kind of he was so brilliant, you know, given his his sort of mental faculties and like you know what he could do and what he couldn't do, and just being sort of this savant, this genius. Um, mm-hmm. I imagine that has to set you apart from the people you're around because you're just on a completely different wavelength. And that must yeah. be that must be really lonely. Definitely. Ugh. That documentary is very good. The if Devil and Daniel Donston? Yeah. If anyone in the store hasn't seen it, you should. So good. It's really sad. It's good. Yeah. All right. My number four. This one is definitely more of a like, this one fits too well on maybe a Halloween playlist, but it's Black Sabbath by Black Sabbath. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, this is total doom and gloom. It was released Friday the 13th in 1970 in February of all days, Friday the 13th, which it's like heavily the occult already. Mm-hmm. So Friday the 13th being the release day is perfect. It just, you know, and of course, like besides the fact that it's also heavy metal, it's evil, it's paganism, it's horror movies through and through. Yeah, and based on and named after the horror movie Black Sabbath. Oh, yeah, which is what... Um, Tolkien? No. Um, who did Black Sabbath? I, Karen Black, I think, was in it. And um, yeah, I don't remember. It was it. Uh, it was Mario Bava. I was thinking that. I don't know. I'm not familiar with that one. This album cover spooks me. Yeah. <laughs> like when I when I think about this song, I just immediately think about that that imagery, and I'm yeah. like, yeah, that's that's pretty creepy. Yeah. I mean, plus the the tritone like guitar sounds in the very beginning, and they're very slow and just like heavy. The singer from Judas Priest, Rob Halford, said that this is the most evil track that's ever been written. (laughs) The lyrics start with, what is this that stands before me, figure in black which points at me? You know, it's just that like, you know, you can imagine it being a kid and, and seeing weird shapes of people in your room and stuff like that, or even just outside your window or shadows just... I would love to talk about Art Bell one day um, in the store. That would be very cool. But yeah, just such a creepy song. And also, okay, I think it was, maybe it was Geezer Butler, but he said there was this like weekly magazine called Man, Myth, and Magic that he started reading that was all about Satan and stuff. And also Ozzy gave him this uh, 16th century book about magic that he'd stolen from somewhere. So he put it in the airing cupboard, which is like, I guess like an open cabinet thing because he wasn't sure about it and later that night woke up and saw this black shadow at the end of his bed it was a horrible presence that frightened the life out of me i ran to the airing cupboard and threw the book out but the book had disappeared after that i gave up all that stuff so it's just you know even the story around how the song was written is just so creepy. very 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 creepy yeah i um yeah, I don't think there's like much more creepy than like an old like English book of like spells and magic where you're just like, yeah, I'm not touching that thing. <laughs> yeah, nope. so creepy. Might as well be like the Necronomicon, like I'm not touching it. Yeah. You know what's crazy? I'm just, I'm thinking about this now, but 
it's kind of fascinating how this music probably impacted my life so much more than I even realized um, without, like, even before I knew who Black Sabbath was. Like, think about how insane this was <laughs> for society in the 70s. Oh, yeah. And that kind of set the stage for the satanic panic yes. of the 80s when, and when I was born. And I know that really, really had a huge impact on my youth in a very, very bad way. You know, it was hard to grow up in those times and especially being like in a very religious home and things like that. It all stemmed from this this era of music and art that people just didn't understand, didn't know how to deal with. And if you don't know what something is, if you don't get it, then it must be demonic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember Um, like I was almost expelled from, like I went to Catholic school growing up. I also born in the 80s. And I remember when I was a kid, I think it was like fifth grade. And like there was one of these priests was one of our teachers and, and, um, and I just remember like raising my hand and being like, why is Satan bad? And like the priest was like, you're kidding, right? Great question. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, but I'm like, but think about it, right? Like he gets cast out of hell or cast out of heaven. He's basically running hell and like, he doesn't want to do that, but like he still craves like the love of God and like the light of God in heaven. So like, he's going to do it. Like he has to, because he has to do what God says. He's still in it. He's a fallen angel, but he's still an angel. Like he can't say like, no, I'm not going to run hell. I'm going to go move to Cleveland. Like he's, he has to run hell. <laughs> so, so he still loves God. He still be like, yeah, all right. Like I'll take my punishment. I'll run hell. Like he's not a bad dude. You know, yeah. like, and like the priest was like, out. And I was like, I just, it's a question. I mean, come on. Makes sense. Right. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. What? But like everybody, like a mischievous there kid. was that fear of like that, like satanic panic where like, you know, people, I mean, I like even in the nineties, like when people were talking about like Marilyn Manson being like a devil worshiper mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And so, yeah. so strange to me, you know, it just has way cooler art. That's, <laughs> right. You know, that's a whole other conversation we oh, can yeah. have, but yeah, the eighties yeah. man were wild <laughs> with this stuff. It's like, you know, like paradise lost. Awesome poem. Dante's Inferno. Awesome book. <laughs> You know, <laughs> like everybody knows Inferno. They don't know like Paradiso and, and um, what was the middle one? Purgatorio. Like no one quotes from yeah. those. Mm-hmm. It's right. always Inferno, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. Okay. Well, I feel like the next one is somehow creepier than Black Sabbath, to be okay. honest. Oh no. Number three is Suicide, Frankie Teardrop. That was almost on my list. Oh, Frankie. Dude, this song is so creepy. Okay, it's a little bit The Shining. Mm-hmm. Poverty-stricken uh, factory worker guy is going to the factory do- doing his job. is just driven to absolute insanity. Comes home from work, murders his wife and child, and then himself. Um, sorry, trigger warning, I probably should have said. But also the music background is just very sparse. Mm-hmm. And then it's like 10 minutes Every too. once in a while, you yeah, it's like 10 minutes long. And then every once in a while, you hear Alan Vega is just like, crazy inhuman screaming and it's terrifying. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely terrifying. Nick Hornby wrote in his book, 31 songs that this is the one you could only listen to once, only once. It is kind of like the requiem for a dream of songs. Like when you're done with it, you're like, I don't need to do that again. Yeah. But it is, it is super creepy. There was even a radio show, Sharpling's long running weekly call in radio show called the best show did a, the Frankie Teardrop Challenge, where he would challenge fans of the show to listen to the song in headphones as loudly as possible at nighttime and while alone. 
and please then they would regularly call in and say that they that they couldn't do it. Um, only a few people could actually finish all ten minutes and twenty six seconds of the song. I mean, yeah, it's going to be a nope for me. I've I've never <laughs> heard this, and um, it's it's not for me. It's not for my ears. Yeah, it's pretty unsettling, it's disturbing. Yeah, yeah, it's messed up. Yep. Yeah. All right. Especially because how the did child- you discover this song? Like, wh- I love suicide. Yes. Cherie, Cherie, like yeah, suicide's pretty awesome. Wonderful. It's like one of those like early '80s like no wave bands. Um, this is just one of those songs. Like, I can't. It kind of reminds me of um, what's the first song on Closer, the Joy Division album? Like, this is the way. Step inside. Like, there's something oh, yeah. about the way the drums play in that song. Like, it just it kind of gives me like a similar vibe where I'm just like, this just sounds like ultimate sadness. And just yeah. pain. Like, yeah. that yeah, this, this is cursed. Yeah, it's cursed. <laughs> it's definitely cursed. All right. <laughs> the next one. Number two. Broadcast and focus group. A seancing song. There you go. Broadcast and focus group, and they do this collaboration, which is, I guess they're they're sharing sources of inspiration like soundtrack music, pulp science fiction, occult text, jazz. Um, wait, is it for a movie? I think it is for a movie, right? Oh no, that's their Barbarian Sound album. I can't listen to that one either. It's terrible. <laughs> yeah. uh, but no, this one is a little less terrifying, but still very creepy. But there's just a lot of weird samples from like nursery rhymes and horror movies and weird ritual things. And it's just creepy. So yeah, a seancing song from... Tara, your songs are just straight up scary. <laughs> I'm sorry, they're we've scary. We bypassed spooky to just scary. <laughs> They're Yikes. Okay. creepy. Yeah, they they're unsettling though. All of these songs are unsettling. Yeah, I feel like the the Black Sabbath one is definitely. I'm like trying more, to imagine what your number one would horror. be. Okay, it's like, not did you, scary, did you just go like full wolf eyes? <laughs> no, <laughs> like their song no, no, stabbed no. in the face. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like. I would always. I would have loved to hear Casey Kasem. Being just like, you know, and now coming in at number 39, it's Wolf Eyes was stabbed in the face. Here's a letter. <laughs> that is a great Casey Kasem. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's the first time I've ever tried it. I was like, I was wondering, like in my brain, I was like, is this going to fly? I don't know. <laughs> that was a good one. No, no, actually, okay. my number one is not, it sounds scarier than what it actually is, I think. It's from the 90s. It's the band Boss Hog, and it's the song Texas. I don't know that song. It's creepy. <laughs> the lyrics are, I'm in Texas, I'm in pain, I'm bleeding and ashamed. And it's it's got this like heavy kind of dark cello string music. But it's John Spencer and his wife. Of the Christina Blues Explosion? Martinez. Yes, of the Blues Explosion. I've never heard them either. I just know the name. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This, this came from their 1995 album called... Boss Hog. I actually bought this album when I was on a band competition in high school. I was playing bassoon in concert season and we were playing Schindler's List music from for this like concert season thing, which is overwhelming also that movie and music very just With Schindler's List? It affects you, yes. Oh yeah. But I bought this Boss Hog CD in a 
record store in Canada, in Toronto. I was like, I want something that's, you know, I've never heard it before. And I I wanted to remember it for this moment. And it was Boss Hog. This is the CD that I got. But I knew a song from their album anyways, I Dig You, which is fun. Another fun one. Right, so check them out. this isn't their regular mo, but it's such a creepy sounding song that I have to. I like skip it. it. Yeah, yeah, I have to skip it because it's like, okay, this is I can't listen to this right now. It's too creepy. This could be you on the cover too. Oh yeah, this with the cool umbrella. Lady with the umbrella. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's cool. Well, that's my list. Yeah, I think mine are probably just wow. like these songs will make you kill someone. They are disturbing. Okay, so were there Yikes. any like runner-ups, ones that almost made the list that we were like, ah, oh, that just, just didn't make the list? What about you? What was your runner Oh, well, Frankie Teardrops was on there, but like my, my, like this one, I don't think quite made the cut, but it is like speaking of like top five songs of all time, this might be my number one, which is the St. James Infirmary, the Cab Calloway version. Oh. Um, I mean, I love all versions of that song, but like those lyrics, like those are like, I know all the lyrics, like the old songs from the 30s and 40s, but like that one... I've just loved it since I was a kid. Um, it's a really weird, sad song about, you know, a, a man going there and finding his lady in the morgue um, and then mm-hmm. just sing, sings the rest of the song about death. And like, you know, when I die, you know, bury me in straight lace britches, a box back suit and a Stetson hat. <laughs> and also like there's a moment in the show Treme. I don't know if you guys have seen that show, but when uh, Wendell Pierce, who, you know, we knew from The Wire, um, in this show, like he's sad, like he's got his trombone with him and he's just sitting in the emergency room and he starts singing a version of St. James Infirmary. It's so beautiful and so sad. And um, yeah, and it's also just, it's, you know, reminds me of my time living in New Orleans, which is one of the best places on earth, especially if you're a jazz nut. Like it's just the, and if you like spooky stuff too, because like, like all those cemeteries, spending Halloween in New Orleans, like one of the best times of my life. So yeah, St. James Infirmary. That's that was my that was my runner up. Ooh. Yeah. What about you I guys? Know that one. Mm. Well, I had see David Bowie, Subterraneans. Nice. Frank Zappa, Sleeping in a Jar. Nice. <laughs> I had any Portishead song. Yeah. I just tried oh, to yeah. stay away from trip hop. All of it's creepy. Yeah. Um, had some Atecra and Blonde Redhead Melody. Very nice. Mm. Oh yeah, that's a good. Yeah, one. I like Ptolemaea by Ethel Kane. I don't know if you guys have heard that song. Mm. Mm-hmm. really out there and and um i did have stabbed in the face by wolf eyes and then um <laughs> eraser by nine inch nails that song creeped me out when i was a kid mm-hmm. yeah uh i had dead can dance the host of seraphim yeah which is that song that they play during the whole like weird cult sex cult thing and eyes wide shut yep yep <laughs> creepy mm-hmm. yeah just a parting thought here. Yeah. Do you think the songs that we call creepy, like individually, it says something about our own personal deepest, darkest fears, you know? I think so. Because yeah. I hear I hear mine and mine are all based on um, being misled to my doom. Right. You know, yours seem to be about like uh, defying logic or, or things not being as they should yeah. be and making Ooh. sense. Yeah. And mine um, is like Tara's it. is just yeah like right Tara's like resisting her dark urge to murder. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Wow, I love it. No, I think there's something to that. Like that's that's one of the beautiful things about horror too, where it's like there are so many people, and like having been in this like horror community for the last couple of years, um, being part of the publishing world, there's so many writers that like there's this woman C.J. Lead who wrote a book Mayfly, which is brilliant but it's so visceral and 
it's almost like, you know, up there with like Brett Easton Ellis, American Psycho. Like, it's just like when you read it, it like it turns your stomach. And, um, you know, I'm like, I could never write anything like that because it would seem insincere. That's not my type of horror. Like my type is like, I go like soft horror or like supernatural, but like that visceral stuff, like I, it's, it, it's so genuine. And, you know, I don't know CJ that well. Like we've spoken a few times on Instagram and stuff, but I, I do like, I, I'm curious. I was like, I, I kind of want to know like, where, where is that coming from? And another part of me is like, it's none of my fucking business. Like it's to ask where that stuff comes from. But it's, you know, horror is that great genre where we can talk about the things that we're not supposed to talk about and, um, and do it in a way that, that makes it sort of a, an oddly, you know, comforting safe space. Mm. Um, cause like once you put stuff out into the extreme or into the supernatural, it kind of allows us to open that box and just go, well, let's just chat about it. Let's talk about it. You know, uh, I think with a lot of drama or comedy, you have to work your way up to it. Um, and it may not always work, but with horror, I think just going in, like you've already made a handshake deal with the reader or the watcher, the viewer, that it's like, we're going to, we're going to get into some shit here. So oh, buckle up. Yeah. 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 That's a great point. That is a really good point. And I was just thinking about, uh, I just finished reading Mexican Gothic. Oh Yeah. Garcia? And yeah, and yeah. it was super good, super good. But it did talk a lot about like kind of like these native traditions and, you know, almost this like underworldly piece of culture, but blended in like Western medicine and stuff too. And yeah, yeah it was, it was really interesting. Yeah. She's and it's interesting to think brilliant of it in that sense. Yeah. And she's, she, is a monster writer too. Like she puts out a new book every year, if not sometimes two books a year. Oh. She is just, yeah, she's a writing machine and she's amazing at it too. Like everything, I, I haven't read Silver Nitrate, her newest one, but everything else she's written has been brilliant. And um, yeah, I think, yeah, I, a horror, it's funny, like, I, you know, I, horror, I think it's really oddly important. Again, not to sound like pretentious or anything because it allows us, like when we have a bad dream, like when we have a nightmare, we're along for the ride. We don't get to say no to the nightmare. The nightmare is like, we're going and you don't get to say anything about it. And we don't really have any autonomy in our dreams. What I like about horror is if it's a scary movie and you get scared, you can turn it off. If it's a book, mm -hmm. you can close it. You can say no to the nightmare, which you can give yourself the choice to not be scared. And you can also give your choice to say yes, to say, I'm going to make it through this, which, you know, it allows us control over our nightmares just for a second. And <clears> I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. And... It's not even necessarily, it doesn't even have to be horror that does it. I, you know, I was talking to my sister who is also not a horror fan. And, um, but since I've been sort of like in this world, she's like, well, I want to kind of get into it a little bit more. I want to, I want to be a part of this with you. And, um, and I said, well, here's the thing. Just because you don't watch horror movies or read horror novels doesn't mean you don't like horror. Like, you know, it's like you love that show Downton Abbey. There's a scene mm -hmm. where like the Duke or the Earl or whatever is like, like a, an appendix, like an appendix burst or something bursting that just vomits blood all over the table. Like that's horrifying, but it's not a horror movie. Like it's like, you know, we grew up Catholic, right? Like read the Bible. Like most of the Old Testament is just horror. That's most yeah. of what it is. Like when I was a kid and like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego got thrown into the fiery furnace, like that scared the hell out of me. <laughs> Like when King Herod was like mm -hmm. killing all the firstborn and shit, like that scared the hell out of me. Revelation is its own horror story. Like it's, it's, there's terrifying mm -hmm. stuff in there. And then it also just goes to also um, like what Richard Matheson wrote like a stir of echoes and what dreams may come and, and I am legend. Um, he talked about the difference between horror and terror, you know, horror like describes it, terror, you feel it. 
And um, I don't think I write a lot of terror. I think I just write horror. I hope. Um, I, the, I leave terror to the other people. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I like that. Very well sorry, said. I like. I yeah. answered a question you guys yeah. didn't ask. I'm sorry. That's great. I told you, no, you guys I, just got to stop me. I, I will keep it. going. It was you know. so well said. <laughs> it was so well said, which, you know, again, explains why you're the writer and I am not. <laughs> So, so well said. Thank you. Thank you. And this has been really fun. And we're so glad that you joined us in the store again. It's been too long. I know. Jeez Louise. Don't be a stranger. I won't be. Like, if you guys invite me back, I'll be here. And if you don't, my feelings won't be heard. They'll be like, that guy did not shut up. Like, we were like, I had to go to the bathroom. And like, that guy was just like going and going. He was like, Columbo was just just one more thing every five seconds. (laughs) No way. No way. You're probably actually the most prevalent shopper in the store. Regular. You're a regular. Uh, yeah, it's been a while, but now, now I'm it back. It has been a while, but yeah. you're back. Was the last time we did it pre-COVID? Yeah. No way. I what, think like 2019? So. It would have to be. Yeah, because we started, what, 2020? Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. How's that for spooky? That's, that's, spooky. That's scared me more than anything else in this whole episode. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's getting really dark outside, so I feel like we should (laughs) close the store and get home before we are murdered in the parking lot on our way out. You two have thoroughly creeped me out. I need to, yeah, need to get in my house. Yeah, go outside. It was so cool to meet you, though, Scott. It was great having this conversation with you. I hope we can meet again in the store. Absolutely. People in the store, pick up your copy of Schrader's Cord, Out Now by Scott Leeds. It's an incredible book. I love it so much. Five stars. Absolutely. Thank and you. we'll be waiting for the movie. And if Michael Keaton isn't in it, it would be very sad. And we want to be extras. Oh, yeah, totally. We want to be piddling around That's, the record yeah, store. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I like it. Yeah. It's like, guys, build the cuckoo's nest. I want to walk around inside. Yes. Yeah. Yes. All right. Well, awesome. thank you again for hanging out in the store with us. And we'll catch you later. Yep. Good night, everyone. Bye. Record Store Society is hosted by Natalie White and Tara Davies. If you'd like to contact the show, visit our website at recordstoresociety.com. Or you can find us on all your favorite social media sites with the handle at Record Store Society.